This is episode 593 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life so you can love your people, get prepared, and live free. On today's podcast, I have a special interview with Samantha Biggers of Backdoor Survival. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is usually an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website. But from time to time, I interview members of the preparedness community who can bring a ton of value and information to your preparedness. Links for this podcast can be found in the show notes or on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Prepper Website Podcast. Hey, before we get started with our interview that I am so excited about today, hey, I just want to ask you if you are a member of the Prepper Website email list. Now, that's one way I've gotten to the point here where I'm not doing so much on social media, but I am communicating with people on email and I'm trying to do that a little bit more often and share out things that I normally wouldn't have shared out. And so I'm hoping that you will come over to the Prepper Website Podcast, click on the show notes and join the email list. And that's one way that I know for sure that doesn't get blocked by you know social media or anything else like that if everything else was you know at a point where i couldn't communicate with you through email i still could do that and even if my email service provider decided to shut down prepper website for whatever reason and i'm not saying that that's a threat or anything that has been coming down but i'm just saying that that's it's something that i can do is i can uh i can export your email addresses and so I have them so I can still communicate with you and so I think in this day and age when information is so important and I try to share out information stuff that's good you know, on Tuesdays I'm, I'm trying to share out something that would be valuable to you and then on Saturdays I always do the Saturday prep and I really don't try to spam you I don't you know regardless of what you might think I do not sell the email list to anybody out there and guys I do get an opportunity to do that. I mean, people always, you know, like Todd, I'll pay you if I can send to your email list, or if you give me the names of your email list uh, subscribers, I will, you know, give you this amount of money. And that's just not. I mean, that would be an easy buck, but that's not something that I ever want to do. I cherish the people that have registered for the email list. I have people that have been with me for a very, very long time, and I just that's not something that I'm ever going to do is to sell my email list. And so, if you are not part of it. I'd love for you to come over and to join and subscribe. You know, I'm part of a lot of email lists and sometimes it's I want to see what other people are doing. There are email lists out there of information that I really want to receive. And sometimes I know that there's there's people can send out email lists or emails that are just they're sending them all the time and sometimes it can be annoying. You know, one of the things that I do is if if that happens, I do unsubscribe, but I really think hard and long about the people that I do that to because, you know, I really want to have that value that other people are giving out. And so there are some email lists that I am on that I have a folder in my email program that when I get their email, I if I, I scan it, I read it. If it's something that, you know, I need to respond to, I'll do that. But, you know, I'll just put them in that email folder. And I've heard from a lot of people that do that as well to my emails that I send out because it's so they're so packed with information. So anyway, I mean, all that to say, I hope you're part of the email list. If not, uh, come on over and join it. I'm always trying to share out valuable information with you. Sometimes things that I don't put on Prepper website or on social media or anything else like that. 
All right, so with all of that said, I'm very excited about this interview. You know, normally I'm reading articles. If you're new to the to the podcast, normally I read articles that are posted on Prepper website, and I give a little bit of commentary. But from time to time, I love to do interviews, and I was able to interview Samantha Biggers of Backdoor Survival. She's the editor and the head writer over at Backdoor Survival, and she does a great job. She really picked up from where Gay Levy uh when you know when she sold off backdoor survival she really picked up being able to provide a lot of value to that community over there and i have read samantha's articles on this podcast many many times and so samantha and her husband homestead on a mountain in north carolina and they you know they've been doing it for a long time they they built their own house they have a vineyard, they have sheep, and they've had animals throughout the years, different types of animals. And so I knew that if I wanted to talk to someone that was really doing like homesteading and preparing on their own land, that there's somebody that, that they've been doing it for a while that I could get a lot of information from. And so Samantha was just very honest and just laid it all out there. And I really appreciate that and really put homesteading and living on your own land in perspective. And so I know that you're going to enjoy this if this is something that uh, homesteading is something that you're interested in. But we also talk a lot about preparedness as well. So really homesteading and preparedness with Samantha Biggers. There's a lot of value here. I hope you enjoy it. I'd love to hear what you have to say. You can always come over to episode 593. I make it really easy for you in the show notes and you can leave a comment. And, uh, you know, I'll let Samantha know the various comments that are that are out there. But you can also visit her at BackdoorSurvival.com. And she's also on the Facebook group. Although, you know, guys, I haven't really been promoting that a whole, whole lot. But she does post her stuff over there as well. All right. So without further ado, this is a longer interview. It's about an hour and 22 minutes. So there's a lot of great information here. So I'm going to stop yapping. I'm going to go ahead and get into that interview with Samantha Biggers of BackdoorSurvival.com. Hey, Samantha, thanks so much for joining us today. It's good to be here. <laughs> I'm so glad we've been talking about doing this interview for a little while. You've got a lot of knowledge, a lot of information I think a lot of people would like to know. And so I'm really excited about what you're going to share with us today on the podcast. Yeah, me too. I've been listening to your podcast for quite a while now. I remember when I found it and I saw that you had, you were reading my articles and I was like, wow, <laughs> nobody had ever done that before. Oh, well, it's, uh, people, people out there appreciate the articles definitely and, uh, you know, your writing. So let's go ahead and, and start with that, right? So for those that are not familiar with your work, um, I, I talk about you, I even mention you by name and, you know, backdoor survival and different things like that. But Share with us a little bit about yourself and how it relates to preparedness and living a self-reliant life. Well, I live on a mountain about 3,000 feet in western North Carolina, and I mostly write and farm sheep and grapes at the moment. Um, we have about 11 acres, and we have another two down the road, and uh, it keeps us really busy. It started out with just a overgrown cow pasture pretty much, and it's evolved a lot over the last 10 years or so, and we've raised a lot of different types of animals like pigs and cattle and goats and geese, and, but we've kind of settled on sheep as the animal for us, and we 
you know, we stay at home and just work this place mostly. And I write and we try to do things ourselves because that saves a lot of time and money and stay out of town. <laughs> well, that's, you know, I got a question for you. So you, you know, and I'm just kind of just veer off of questions that we, uh, we talked about here, but you, you said you, you've raised a bunch of different animals. Why have you settled on sheep? Because they're more pleasant and they're easy to handle. I, we had cattle and it's a challenge to keep the fences up at the time. We were like the only people maintaining our fences that the other farmers around pretty much, they, it didn't seem like they really cared about keeping them up very well. And cattle are big. And we, we raised Dexter cattle for a while and they had horns and we just got tired of it. And it was, you know, butchering them at home and stuff was hard. And we had raised pigs before that, which was kind of nice. They'll help clear your place and root things up. And, but you can only do that for so long before it takes a toll on the land and goats are just insane. <laughs> I've raised them since I was a teenager and they try to get out of fences a lot. And the further something is away, the more delicious it is. So they'll go for it. And with a vineyard, it just doesn't work. The sheep we can graze in the vineyard part of the year. Um, we've switched sheep breeds from Shetlands to baby doll sheep, which are kind of like teddy bears grazing in your field. They're very calm and, I've never really had an animal quite like them. I've seen pictures of you holding them, you know, on social media. So, and one of them, I think you said, you know, they're getting a little too big to hold, but uh, yeah, I can, I can see why you would want something a little bit more docile. I've seen pictures of goats and videos of goats. And, and I mean, when you have goats, you have to really be on top of it. They're smart. They can, you know, they can wiggle their way out of those types of things. And so I really never thought about sheep being just that animal that might be perfect, I guess, for someone who is wanting to homestead. Yeah, and there's different sizes. Like the baby doll sheep, people think they're small, and they are. They're only like two feet high, but they weigh 120 pounds or so They're because they're very dumpy. But they're just, they're calm. And I, we have wrestled animals so much having to work them. And we're 36 now, my husband and I. So we want something that we can raise when we're older too, because the baby dolls, you see 70 year olds that have hers of baby dolls and they're doing a lot of the work with them. And it's like, yeah, that's, that's something that we can manage in the long term. All right. That, that makes sense. So that's good to know. I'm glad to hear that. So, you know, what caused, you weren't always a homesteader. You and your husband, Matt, weren't always homesteaders. Uh, I know you've talked about at one time you had a job, you know, in the city, you were living, you were living the life, the rat race, all that kind of stuff. Now, what caused you to want to start homesteading, uh, including uh, building your own home? Because I mean, you've done that. Can you talk a little bit about, about that? Well, both, both of our, like my husband's parents and, and my parents um, both lived in houses that they built. Like my dad mostly built the one that we lived in when I was real little. So we weren't, it, the idea wasn't foreign to us, but we, I graduated a year after my husband from college 
And so I got a job with the Forest Service in Alaska, Ketchikan, Alaska, which is the biggest, it's on the biggest island in the country. But there's only about 10,000 people there and about 20 miles of paved road. And it wasn't what we thought. We wanted to do something and get out of here after college. But we wound up with office jobs because, honestly, I couldn't work for the Forest Service once I realized how it was. They would set you out in grizzly bear country with a whistle and pepper spray and you weren't allowed to carry a gun. Uh, and the work was... I was like, we, everyone could just do this by, you know, GPS map. What, what are we doing here? We're just kind of wasting government dollars. <laughs> um, and I really didn't want to be in grizzly bear country without protection. Um, so we st- I got a job working in an office at a fish processing facility eventually. And then I worked as a financial planner. But, and Matthew worked repairing copiers and office equipment, and he – go on other islands and do that too sometimes and we were spending all our money on rent and bills and not really getting ahead it was very people think of alaska and they think of this big frontier well ketchikan 600 miles north of seattle roughly and you can't get off the island unless you have quite a bit of money you're kind of stuck there and if the barges didn't show up the shelves would be pretty empty at times at the grocery store. It was like one missed barge from everybody not having food. Um, maybe not quite that bad, but you'd notice you'd go to the store and it'd be like, Hmm, there's not much here. And <laughs> things would just be missing. And, you know, we, it, it was dark all the time. So we decided, well, I, my, my dad had some land that he wasn't going to use in North Carolina. That's been in the family. And he always kind of meant it for me anyway. So we just started planning on moving back and we started looking at house plans when we were up there and it took us a little while to get started on the house. We moved in, we came back here and I was still working for a financial planner remotely, but this was 2008 and the recession happened. Oh yeah. I lost my job. Sorry. So I started writing for like a penny a word. Sometimes I had some unemployment and we were like, Hey, let's just, try this and we moved into we lived down here with my dad at his place a little bit for a few months um we previously stayed with matt's parents for a few months too after getting back but then we just moved up to the place and lived in a tent for like a month or so and then another little camper we got another camper and the camper we eventually wound up living in while we built the house was a 1978 Holiday Rambler, so it was older than us. Wow. And it was, nothing worked in it. Like, the power would go off in the rain, so we ran an external power cord from our temporary pole. <laughs> we started using hand saws at times to clear stuff and brush axes. Um, everything was just totally overgrown, and... Then we, you know, started getting building permits and working on the house, but you could not get up here without, or get up there without like a four wheel drive vehicle. And that was a challenge. I remember when we had ordered our 20 foot boards for the, um, joists of the, or the floor joists of the house. And we were like, well, how are we going to do this? And we were like, we'll just carry them up the mountain. And my cousin came by and felt sorry for us and like strapped him to a truck because at the time we had a Honda Civic 
and they were like 20 feet long and we were just like we'll carry them up the mountain we we did carry a few and it was it was hard it we stayed 18 months in the camper and it was two winters there was no internet there was no bathroom there was no hot water uh we had to carry our water we had uh we struggled to keep it 55 to 60 degrees in the winter time there because there was one time when it got to be negative 11 outside and we were raising pigs at the time too so our first the first time we butchered pigs i didn't have anywhere to hang them we had all this help that come up to mostly just you know stand around tell us what to do and drink beer but they uh (laughs) they we had to take the pigs and hang them in our unfinished house. So until this day, under my floor, there is a stain where we had to hang pigs. <laughs> Even though I put plastic down. Now you have to tear up the floor to see it, but <laughs> you do what you have to do. And I'm, I'm glad we did it. it. We just kept busy a lot and read books and we had our computers and stuff, but we only had about 20 amps of power at a time. Was there ever a time that you said, hey, this isn't worth it, forget this, let's go back to the city, let's go back to, you know, jobs? Was there ever a time like that? No. No. <laughs> Never. Um, we, you know, we were always just fine just doing our own thing pretty much. And we socialized up in Alaska some, but up there people mostly went out to restaurants or bars to socialize. They didn't really socialize at each other's houses like they do in the South or set on porches or anything like that. Um, so, you know, we, we came here. It was nice. It was, there was freedom here. We could do what we wanted on our property. We, we tried to be careful because we were 24 when we started on the house and living up there. And, we were afraid that the county or somebody would find out how we were living and like get, get, uh, get us in trouble because we had seen where people had gotten in trouble for living on their own property and campers and stuff like that before other places. But they didn't really care here, I don't think. They left you alone, so that's good. So talk to, yeah. us, talk to us a little bit about building your home. What, what did y'all, did y'all have plans that y'all started with? Because um, you, did you build it from scratch or did you refurbish uh, or you know renovate a home that was already there we built it from scratch we poured the foundation ourselves with a concrete mixer and everything um we had some very basic plans because i live in a rural we live in a rural county and you really don't have to have much in the way of building plans or you didn't back then so we bought like a $60 set of building plans from sheldon designs up in pennsylvania and it was for a micro cabin and then Matthew changed the plans a little bit and it's basically the design of like an old mountain cabin in North Carolina except we glassed in the front room more instead of having just a porch it's pretty small I'm it's enough for us and we could always add on it's 480 square feet on the bottom and another 160 square feet on the top but we we kind of went overboard with the house because we we wanted to make it to where it would last a long time. So we did all wood on the inside and two by six walls and 
it took more money and more time. Like we'd never built a house before <laughs> or anything like that. Matt had a little bit of construction experience. I had to get over going up on ladders. I finally achieved that when we were working on the second story and we had to bolt a ladder to the platform to raise the main beam for the roof. And so you're up like 20 feet in the air on a ladder. Wow. <laughs> on a platform. Um, so we just had to do it a little at a time. And that house was built $500 at a time. And uh, while well, we lit, and it took us, we moved into it before it was done, which was, I don't know if I'd recommend that to people. Uh, why, why, why don't you recommend that? Because you have to move everything around every time you work on something. And it wasn't insulated when we moved in. And we didn't get the insulation in, so it got really cold. So it was actually like there were some times when it was really cold in there. And it's, I would recommend getting a better travel trailer than what we had. We, we got one for $300 and lived in it for 18 months because a neighbor had it and just didn't want it anymore. And we were, it was there. And we were just like, hey, so. <laughs> it worked for us, but it would, if you had something a little nicer and then you can always sell it later, it would have been, it would probably be better for most people. So at, at this time, I mean, you mentioned we did it $500 at a time. Where's the money coming in? If you're just working your land, are you, you know, raising pigs to sell? I mean, what are you, how are you making a living with the things that you have to purchase? Well, mostly just writing and stuff, and we um, just some odd jobs here and there. The house, we've had it done for a few years now and stuff, and we had a little, a few thousand or so, you know, to get started on it and such, but the house is, we don't have a mortgage or anything, so it really doesn't take, you know, we don't have, like, that over our head, and we don't go anywhere, so... <laughs> It, I mean, it varies. The income can be difficult. The the writing for a while didn't do very much. And so at the very at the very beginning, when y'all first started, though, that was the way that you were kind of financing, you know, this debt free home that you were making uh, or building. That you you know y'all were doing odd jobs and whatever it took to bring in a little bit of money. Yeah, yeah, and we would help relatives too because I'll, I'll be honest with you, you know, like there's. My dad's a disabled veteran and stuff, and he would he would pay us to do some things for him and such because and my grandmother the same thing because i'm I'm the youngest in my generation in the family, so my grandmother was like i was we were taking care of her when she was like eighty nine ninety years old and such, so to keep them out of rest homes because that just that's a big wilt waster <laughs> if the older folks, they don't do that well in them a lot of times. And so we were helping out some family too that needed it. Okay. All right. That makes sense. Well, you know, on, on the internet and I've linked to a lot of articles that have talked about homesteading and what it takes to homestead and, and all those different kinds of things. It's very romanticized. Some people would, you know, like that's the, that's the step the, the final step in preparedness sometimes, I think people view it that way. is like, hey, I'm going to prep. And then if I really, truly want to be self-reliant, then I'm going to go have my own homestead. 
and, you know, go, you know, live off the land, you know, raise my own, you know, fruit and vegetables and, and my own animals and different things like that. For those people that look at it that way, you know, what would you say? Is that, is that true? Is it no, you need a little bit more understanding of how hard it's going to be? Uh, what would you say to that? I think people definitely need a better understanding of how hard it's going to be. Um, you're always going to have a lot to do and you're always going to be tired and you're going to, there's always, you're always going to want to do more or, um, it's rough. It's brutal at times. Uh, you know, your animals get sick and die and there's nothing you can do about it. You can try, but sometimes it just happens. Um, you can get hurt. Um, the, the life and death decisions are very difficult for to deal with, but uh, for a lot of people is they think it's going to be easier overall. Just, I, you know, our ancestors used to live a lot like that. That was their way of life. But the American lifestyle makes us very unprepared for living that way because, and I'm not trying to, you know, rag on people, but as a country, we're in really terrible physical condition and I've been there. Like when I walked up my, the hill to get to my place when I was 24 years old, I, I started trying to get in better shape in Alaska because I had an office job. I was 172 pounds and <laughs> to be blunt and I'm 30 pounds less now after home studying and doing stuff, but I couldn't get up the hill without huffing and puffing. And that's going to be the challenge for a lot of people. And you don't have to be a bodybuilder. You don't have to have six pack abs, but you do have to be able to really like get out there and work and stuff. So um, people get very um, like when we have, we've had people come up and help us at the farm at times and they get so upset because they can't keep up. They can't, and it's like, we couldn't do that either when we started. You have to start somewhere, but you got to get over that. You're not just going to go out there and do all this stuff. There's a learning curve. It takes time. Uh, we've, we've been there, and I, you have to get over that. You have to, you know, develop a plan and not listen to what television tells you and the Internet about fitness and weight loss. You know, it's not that easy. It's going to take time. But people can do it. They just, you can't get discouraged. You just got to keep at it. Yeah, I think sometimes people think, yeah, I'll start a garden and maybe just kind of sit on the porch and, and you know, let it all be, just be real peaceful and, and quiet. And there is, an, I guess, an aspect to that. But the working hard, uh, I, I, can, I can only imagine. Uh, well, I mean, when my dad had his place, we would go up there and, when we were up there, we were working from the time the sun came up to the time that we couldn't see anymore because we were, it was off grid. And uh, I can only imagine, you know, there was times where in, in the hot sun here in, in Texas, uh, we would have to take a little bit of a break because we were just really overheated. So I can kind of understand where you're, where you're coming from that. Can you talk a little bit about, we, we've already talked a little bit about the financial side of that, but can people make a living? I mean, you've, you've done it. You've been able to do that. But can people, I guess, is there a change in mindset from the way that you live in the city 
to the way that you live there as far as having all the money that you maybe are used to going out to eat, doing, you know, uh, having all the money for entertainment. You definitely can Can you make money doing this? I guess is what I'm trying to say. You can, but you're going to have to start off not making much. You know, I, when I was started writing, I worked for a penny a word or, there, and it was harder to get jobs. Um, I remember being really excited because the, the stove in my house, I wrote a business plan for a place and that's how I got my cooking stove for the home we live in. And it's, it just, it takes time and you can't be too broad in what you're doing. Uh, I, you mentioned self-sufficiency and people get really stuck on that word. What you got to look back in the past, people, people would specialize. They would, they would do quite a few different things, but they would have an excess of one thing so that they could trade or sell it for another or things that they couldn't produce. And I think that's a little more realistic. You can't produce absolutely everything on your place unless you want to live pretty rough. It would take a lot of land and a lot of time and people. And I don't think anybody wants to go back to the time where, you know, you're sitting there with a candle and no electricity and all, you know, <laughs> that's, so you got to look at your place and see what's realistic for your land and for your skill level. You know, writing is something I've always done. I mean, I did it when I was a little kid. And, uh, if you've got a lot of property, you know, you might be able to have a grass fed beef operation. I've got 11 acres that I could never make a living off of 11 acres with cattle. Um, so the, yes and no. I mean, people do definitely make a living, but it depends on how much property you've got your skills how much time you want to put into it. Um, and, and I like, I like the, and I've heard that many times before where you can't be completely self-sufficient. Uh, you might be self-reliant where, you know, you're going to rely on yourself, of course, but you can't be completely self-sufficient. You're, you're going to need to have others a way to get other things in your life. Cause you're right. Not everybody can do everything that they need to do. So that's a good point, something to, uh, something to remember uh, for those who are, are wanting to do that, wanting to go out and, and homestead. So um, that, that's a good point. And raising your own food, is, that's, that can be a challenge as well. Like we raise, we've raised a lot of our own meat. I would like to raise more vegetables and things of that nature, but uh, with – it's been difficult with having the livestock around. I've got sheep in my yard right now and stuff. I, I need to find a garden spot and be more. We might have a greenhouse eventually just to, so we can produce more food year round with all the food recalls. It's just concerning. I'd rather grow our, more of our food, but uh, butchering animals is something that seems like people have a really hard time with, but I would say it's worth it to raise your own meat and you get over it. I mean, I, some animals it's easier than others just because it doesn't take as long. You get more meat for your time, but it's never pleasant, but it's, if you eat meat, you're paying somebody else to do it no matter what. So 
it has to happen if you're going to eat meat. <laughs> when you talked about a garden, you said you have a vineyard, and I know I've seen pictures of it. Why did you and Matt settle on a vineyard and growing grapes as opposed to something else? Sometimes I think it's because we're crazy, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's been a lot of work. Uh, well, we well, first we just wanted a few grapes, and then we just started thinking, let's just plant more and more. And sometimes we kind of wish we went a little slower with that because it, there's grapes all over the place on our property, like wild ones, and they seem to do well. We had to get cold hardy grapes because people think of the South and they think it's really hot, but actually it's, it gets really cold here in the winter time and you have to have cold hardy grapes and grapes that can withstand disease. The European varieties like that you see, you know, you, Cabernet Sauvignon and all these wines in the store, those don't really grow that well here. People do grow them, but they struggle and they have to spray a lot of really toxic stuff to grow them. And we didn't want to do that. Um, so we're still figuring it out. We've got 1600 grapevines and we've, we have to work the whole place by hand because we're on a steep slope. We have a mower that, it hasn't been working for a while. You have to get very specific equipment. So we spend a lot of time weed eating, which is unfortunate. We're hoping we can get the baby doll sheep in the vineyard most of the year because they're really short and they can't get up on their back legs and let them eat under it. But it's mostly just because there's, there's a lot of grapes grown on our place. And it's one of those products that if you can value add to it and make wine or jam or jelly, there's some decent money in it but you have to invest a lot. And I'll be honest with you, it's, we've questioned if it was a good decision at times because most of the people that try to start vineyards are in their late 60s or 70s and they pay other people to do all, a lot of the work and they have millions. Mm. Have you ever, just done it a little at a time. <laughs> have you ever thought about bringing in maybe an intern, somebody who wanted to learn or something you know they wanted to spend a season with you we we've thought about it before but we really don't have like the housing for them and also this is going to sound terrible but it seems like every time we people romanticize what all of this that we're doing is like and the workload is crazy and we're always tired and people don't a lot of people don't want to do that much work. Gotcha. I, that's going to, I mean, I, that's something people think that when they start homesteading and farming, that maybe all their friends and family are going to be like hanging out and like, they've got a nice place in the country and we'll have parties and barbecues. It's not like that. Maybe for some people, <laughs> but I, we found that people really don't just come out and work hard or help or anything. They, and if you don't, if your friends live really far away, they're not going to come out. That's just the way it is. You have to get used to being like on your own pretty much with stuff. Uh, maybe if you, it's some people get lucky and have people that are really involved or big extended families, but you, you you should just plan on doing it all on your own or hiring help and, and kind of going slow and being able to, you know, add to it. Kind of like what you were saying. 
Yeah, you go go slow with it. it. You have to. There's we would buy books and stuff on plumbing and electric electrical work and stuff, and you're gonna screw up. There's times where you, but even if you do mess up, it's still a lot cheaper than paying somebody else. I, I we added it up like what a plumber would cost to plumb our house, and we could even if we screwed it up entirely one time it would still been cheaper to do it ourselves so well we did it ourselves even though there was a few that we had somebody help us a little bit that was not licensed and we regretted that and it took us a little bit of extra time to go back and do some things but you just some places you're not allowed to do some of the stuff we did with building codes and all you have to check your local codes I always advise people to go by building code. I've had folks tell me, oh, I wouldn't live in a place where there are that many rules. Well, most places there are a lot of building codes and they, as long as you try, they'll work with you and they're good. But if you start trying to defy them, they can make you tear your house down. Mm. They, you don't, there's no use. They're not there to make your life hard. They're there to, to make, make you not like burn your house down or something or, and building code is actually really minimal. We went beyond building code because I don't, the regular building code's pretty flimsy to be honest with you. And like you said, you wanted something that was going to last for a while. Yeah. People told us to, Oh, go get a, a single wide or something like that. And I was like, I'm, 24 years old if I get that I'm going to pay on it for 30 years and it's going to be falling apart around me I've known plenty of people to get them and that's the experience they have yeah (laughs) I was told by family and everybody do not do that and I I wasn't going to anyway but I when when we were building a lot a lot of the building um, places that sold stuff were just like you plan on living in your house for the rest of your life? And I'm like, well, yeah. And they're like, oh, I would never plan on that. It's like, well, because <laughs> people are so used to being mobile and moving around. Right. Well, that's the way it used to be, right? I mean, you would buy a home and you'd stay in it for, for your life and people don't look at it. People will, I know I deal with a lot of educators and, and uh, younger teachers, even teachers my age who said, well, we, we bought our house. We were in a starter house. And now we're, you know, and they're pretty much all paid off. And now they're going and buying a, a great big house that really they're not going to need. It's going to be too much house in a couple of years. And uh, I just, I don't understand that. You know, I, I just don't understand that. But uh, hey, let me, let's go back just a little bit. When you were talking about living in the trailer, give us an idea, a rundown of what it was working your land, like maybe like a, a day in the life, Right of what it was like, you know, living in your trailer or in the camper that you were living in and then working the land, you know, just kind of walk us through that if you don't mind. Well, it, it, you know, it varied a lot day to day depending on our, how much money we had at the time to, to work or, or work with. And, but we, you know, get up at six or seven, depending on the day and how hard we had to work the day before you know, just eat something and just go out and 
we might clear property all day one day. We might go and dig the footers for the foundation of our house. And there was, when you're building a house, there's times where you have to wait on the building inspector at different levels. So it's no one day was. So, okay, we might go dig for a while, then we'd go cut down trees, then we'd do some fence work, then we'd, and it would just go on till five or six o'clock or something, and then we'd cook something, and sometimes if we wanted like a bath or something, we would, uh, this was after the camper, so we'd like heat a barrel of water and use a stock tank. <laughs> So that would take some time, but we just do that throughout the day. And it's when you're first starting out with building a house too, like $500 will go a long way. But when you're getting to the finished part or some of the other stages, you can like run through that in two or three hours of work. Mm. So it was just, there was, the days just varied a lot. And some days, you know, we'd have to butcher pigs and it would take us, two days probably to butcher and work up the meat for two 400 pound pigs or so. How are you, how are you storing that meat if you were in a camper? I mean, did you have um, space for that? We had, we bought a freezer and stuck it under the platform that was a, soon to be the floor of our house. And my dad lived right down the road. So we like kind of stashed some meat at that place in a freezer. Um, when we were curing meat, sometimes it was cold enough where we could, you know, cure out some bacon or something in the shell of the house. So that's that's kind of how we were how we were doing it. it was, so you yeah. would y'all would I guess wind down. You said like five six o'clock, maybe eat some dinner, cook some dinner, and then were you in for the rest of the 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 night then? And you kind of just that's when you did your writing and stuff like that. And then you would go uh, start it all over the next day. Yeah. And sometimes we'd work later, just depending on the time of the year it was and what we were getting into. And there were times where we'd have to come down and help my dad and my grandmother at the time was alive. So she would need help with some things. Um, Cause she was getting, we didn't know how old she was actually until right about the time of her death because she was born in a cabin and didn't have a birth certificate or social security number just she was like 30 so wow okay so <laughs> with all with all of that what be honest what what do you miss what do you miss from the real world <laughs> the way things are now not much I mean like I sometimes it's a little bit lonely I but I, it's gotten a little bit better now that I have like some online buddies like I talked to like Daisy Luther a lot she's a good friend I, I actually haven't talked to her in a while but like and then Gay from Backdoor Survival me and her have actually have a lot in common I had no idea when I started working for Backdoor Survival how much me and her had in common actually we are, we're from the same area originally although we have there's a big age difference but it's, she only lived probably an hour from where I grew up. <laughs> so, and then I've got, 
I've met a lot of people with the prepping writing that are really great and interesting. And I, I get a lot of different perspectives like Selco and Jose from Venezuela. And so that helps, but you know, I, I don't miss a lot of it. <laughs> I, I, it would be neat to have probably have a little more social interaction up here occasionally, but the way things are now and with people my age, it's, sometimes it's very difficult because there's just such a division and what me and Matthew are doing is so different than what they're doing. It's just, it makes it hard. If, if you were to go out to town, how, how far away do you live from town? I only live about four miles from town, but the way our house is located, it's a four wheel drive road with about a quarter mile driveway. And there's, there's a lot of empty property above us. So we don't go to town much. Like we'll do one trip around the first part of the month and then we'll kind of do a big, you know, to see what we're out of the middle of the month. And besides that, we just kind of go when we need something like a tool or some building materials or something like that. Oh, and when we, when I say town, how big are we talking about? Just it is about 6,000 people. But okay. we're actually only about 25 minutes or so from the Asheville city limits if we want to go to a big city. But I really try to avoid Asheville. <laughs> <laughs> so if, but if you were to go, let's say you were to go have a night out, what would you and Matt be doing? I'd probably go see some bluegrass. We have a lot of good music around here. And we're kind of, kind of a musical family in these mountains. So, uh, yeah, go somewhere like Pisgah Brewing in Black Mountain or somewhere because I, I kind of like that place because you can it's outside and if you want to leave, you can. It's not like inside a place. I don't really like big enclosed space. <laughs> um, but, and once in a blue moon, we'll do something like that. But it's, we don't do stuff like that a lot. We did, we did when we were a little younger, but I'm just, now that my, our place is a lot nicer, we've got a lot of roads, like we hacked out roads by hand and with our little walk behind tractor. It's kind of like living in our own little subdivision. So I don't really feel the need. I feel like I'm kind of held back when I go to town. Like I can't really have as much fun because I, mean, I can walk out my door and go shoot guns for hours and nobody will say anything. I can do, you know, have a bonfire. I can do fireworks. I can do all this stuff. So it's like, there's not a lot of entertainment that's really appealing to me in town anymore. Because <laughs> I could, you know, I could, you know, go have a picnic or I could read a book or I could sit in my patio and I'll sit on the patio and type in the evenings, sometimes to 10 o'clock at night or something and have the baby doll sheet sitting there and I can pet them. And so a lot of the, you know, we gave up a lot of that when we were in our 20s because when we came back, there were still people from where we went to college hanging out and all. But we didn't have money to, like, go out and do stuff because we were putting it all towards our place. And so the time period when a lot of people were making friends and hanging out at clubs or bars or just places, we were too tired for it. We just stayed at home and worked and put that money towards what we've got now. So. All right. Well, you brought up something. I had a, another question that kind of came up as you were talking. 
you can go outside, you can shoot guns, all that kind of stuff. How close are your closest neighbors and do you get along with them? Do y'all have a relationship? Do y'all share items or, I mean, I, you know, do y'all, do y'all socialize? We have um, some neighbors that are, you know, we can see their house from our house. It's probably at least 800 feet, but it's kind of difficult to get to. You'd have to cross, you know, cow pastures and stuff. I've got some family members on the road, but we don't really socialize with them. I mean, I've got my dad down the road too, and we'll come see him. But no, we really don't have much interaction with them at all. Um, We've had some trouble in the past with road maintenance issues and stuff, and we just kind of do our thing and they do theirs. Okay. All right. That's, that's understandable. So what would you do differently if you, and I know I'm sure there's a long list of things that you would do differently, but what are maybe two or three big things that you look back and you've been doing this for a long time now, right? Um, I think you made a mention maybe getting a little bit of a nicer camper, but what would you do differently looking back at what you and Matt have done in, you know, getting your land and building your own home and, and all the experience that you have, what would you do differently? Well, we kind of wish that we just started it sooner to start with. I mean, we went to Alaska and we sometimes think about like if we just went ahead and moved up here right after college, but at the same time we wouldn't have had the job experience or, you know, in a way like the, the not so great experience in Alaska made us think about what we wanted to do more clearly. And we were younger. I think people need that time kind of figure stuff out. Um, but we did spend quite a bit of money moving there and then moving back. And if we'd spent that two years and some, and got jobs here or something, I, but at the same time, it might not have worked out very well. Um, you know, it's, even in hindsight, uh, we considered that we should probably have just bought a storage building instead of a camp or two getting back to the camper. We could have lived in like an insulated storage building and then we'd had a place to put our tools and everything. Mm. Uh, we also had a site picked out where we wanted to build the house and then people were like, Oh, the view would be better up there. And so, and we thought so too. And we built it in a location that was further up on the mountain and that can cause difficulties. Uh, sometimes we would rush into doing things just, and part of it was a lack of experience. We would just rush into, you know, building an outbuilding or doing something without really planning things or as well as we could have. But part of that is just a lack of experience and you learn as you go. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's some good good advice there and uh, some things definitely that people should consider when we, you write for backdoor survival and um, or you're the editor of backdoor survival and you've written a lot of articles on, you know, preparedness. How well do you feel that you and Matt are prepared to live in case there's a true SHTF moment? Um. We're more prepared than most, but I think everybody could always be more prepared. Um, from like a working together standpoint, we've in mind like a survival mindset. I think we do really good. Um, we both are still trying to improve our physical fitness <laughs> because I think that's really important and just your health overall. Um, 
the defensive strategies we've had to work on because it's just the two of us. You know, and everybody talks about, oh, you know, the lone wolf is going to die or something like that. But it's very hard to find a group to uh, put your trust in and to work together. And groups are usually really spread out. So I think more people are going to be on their own or just in family units during an emergency than they expect because 10 miles can seem like the distance to the moon if something really bad is going on even if your grip's that close. I, I'm, I want to be more prepared for nuclear things, and not because I think somebody's necessarily going to push a button and a nuclear bomb's going to go off, but the nuclear facilities are in this country have an appalling lack of maintenance. A lot of them were only designed to last for 40 years, really. They're designed, and we're already past that, and I don't really trust the powers that be to maintain those as they should be. That's a good point. That's a good point. Have you, have you ever thought about, um, I mean, would your family come together in a time like that? Have y'all had any kind of those discussions? I hate to say this, but I don't think so. A lot of them. And I think a lot of some of the other family that might uh, live so far away, but I, I don't, I don't think that they have that mindset or, or anything. Okay. Now, do they live in, I guess, that, that rural setting or, you know, do they farm and do they uh, have animals and things like that? Or do they, you know, basically live there kind of close to you, but really work in the, in the city? Um, they, they, they live close, but they, and they don't really farm and such i they just you know typical people in the okay. country <laughs> just you know they just they have their jobs and they go to work and that's that's pretty much it okay so they're not coming from that that kind of a mindset which might be a little bit easier you already have some things in place maybe you already uh, you know you know what kinds of you know things you can do and 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 stuff like that so uh, that that was just a a thought a question that i had um, that might might come up. Yeah, right. they, they they did. You know that people grew up farming and stuff around here, like raising tobacco and things like that. Like my grandfather had this whole place when it before it was split up amongst family members. It was twenty eight acres, and he worked at the paper mill and he farmed as well. And he always had like three or four jobs going. He was a World War Two vet, and he they always say he worked himself to death because he worked all the time and he, he did, but he, he really liked to be busy and he, yeah, he ran a whole farm and worked a full-time job at the paper mill. And I, it's kind of like when he passed away that people just didn't want to do that stuff as much anymore. They'd raise a few cattle. And when I came back here, moved here at 16, I started re- working in town and raising goats and, and doing some farm stuff too before I went to college. And so college was a four year interruption from homesteading. (laughs) Ah, okay. For me. Well, what, what could someone who wants to, cause I know this comes up a lot. There are people who write about homesteading and, and they, uh, they live on their homestead. Others are preparing to move out, uh, you know, and, and get there. 
what kind of advice would you give to someone who wants to homestead that that is their, that's their goal. They're working towards that. They might even be saving up money to buy their homestead, all of that kind of stuff, but they can't yet move to property. How can they start making moves to live a homesteading life? Um, start by just learning skills. It could be just cooking, canning, just anything. I honestly, I recommend a, Carla Emery's book, The Encyclopedia of Country Living. It's just completely full of st different things that you can do. And that's kind of was my big book to start with. I've always had a copy of that ever since I was like 16. Uh, you know, value adding, where can you do stuff yourself to save money? Uh, it could be just growing container gardens. Even if you're in an apartment, you can do that. Uh, reading a lot about the topics that interest you and watching YouTube videos. When, when I was younger, you know, YouTube wasn't around really. Um, we didn't even, I didn't have internet when I was a teenager or anything like that. Uh, get, get in better physical condition, uh, do what you can. I know people's abilities vary, but everybody can do a little bit of exercise and improving their diet. Um, uh, learn patience. Everything's going to take longer. Uh, with a house, you might as well, like building the house, it's going to be more expensive and it's going to take longer than what you expect. Everything takes longer than what people want or expect. Uh, you have to learn a lot of patience and practice being alone a little bit or with your, just with your family. A lot of families are very disconnected. You know, they live in the same house, but they lead totally different lives. Uh, you're not, if you move out to a homestead, you, you're not going to be able to be that social person. Some people, that's what breaks them. Uh, my parents lived on the Olympic Peninsula when I was a child and my mother, uh, couldn't deal with living she thought she wanted to be there and it was her idea to like get that property but once they had my dad had the house built he was working in sawmills and he was going back and forth from forks washington right outside of there to the mainland in the north cascades where her parents lived and the isolation was what got a lot of people that were trying to to homestead in on like the Olympic Peninsula and eventually they moved to the mainland just to a small town to the, the 300 people there um, but she left when I was like four like five or something like that so it, that didn't work either so um, you have to be able to handle not being involved with everything I, I guess you need to have a good relationship with, it sounds like you and Matt have a good relationship. So you have to have a good relationship with your spouse and be able to be around each other for long periods of time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like I honestly, Matthew and I have spent one night apart in 15 years besides like a, a week long vacation. He took when we were in college with his parents. Wow. <laughs> People think that's, you know, and, and that's another thing. Um, this is a touchy subject, but what I see with a lot of couples and stuff, you really, you have to work together and realize that you're better together than apart. There's this, it seems like people just give up with marriage now too much, like, because it's really easy. There's no, like, there's not a lot of social stigma against, you know, if you get divorced, whatever, but 
people just kind of give up and think things will be better. But I worked for a financial planner and I will tell you, I saw people that had a lot. And by the time they were done with that divorce, they had nothing because they wouldn't just split things down the middle. They would argue so much that they lawyers would get everything. You can completely ruin yourself by not getting along or at least being able to split things evenly. You know, there's when people don't get along, it's, very difficult to get ahead you can't I, I've just seen that a lot that's that's some good advice good <laughs> advice good advice all right so uh, you you do a lot of writing for backdoor survival what has surprised you as you because you write you share out your articles out there people come to the website they leave comments I know I get this kind of stuff all the time because of of social media, although I'm trying not to be on social media as much anymore, but I get comments and, you know, people are not happy. People are happy, emails, all that kind of stuff. So what has surprised you about the state of preparedness right now? Well, it's amazing how unprepared the country is as a whole. Like you and I talk to a lot of really prepared people and, but there's a big there's a lot of extreme situations. Some people are very prepared and some people are not prepared at all. And then there's people that think they are, but they're not really that well-rounded with their preps. Like, cause they've got, they're relying so much on gadgets that they failed to learn skills. For example, um, I see a lot of like single disaster preparedness mindset because it's, Oh, it's fine. You know, you can concentrate on one disaster instead of thinking about everything. But, and I think sometimes that discourages people from getting started with prepping. They see all these, you know, everybody's preparing for a nuclear disaster or an EMP. And you should just really start preparing. Look at what's most likely to happen in your area. Uh, do you live? I lived in an area that flooded all the time when I was the kid. So floods were what we prepared for it. Hurricanes, winter storms. Um, start with that and because that gives you a good base and then go and get all the specialized stuff that you want as you can but you know start start with the things that are most likely to happen Uh, it's true if you do prepare for like an EMP or nuclear disaster all those preps probably will be just they'll serve you well with the other stuff too but you know, if you're spending all your time making Faraday cages instead of putting back food or something, then that's a problem. Uh, and the country's pretty divided in turn too, and that makes it difficult. We're encouraged to like highlight differences in each other and not common ground. Um, there's a lot of contempt between people. Uh, men and women don't work together so well anymore. And just there's everybody wants to concentrate on the differences. And if you don't, everyone doesn't agree on every little thing, then they can't be friends or work together. And that's just crazy to me. Yeah, definitely. I think I I would agree with you that we are very divided. I guess in the preparedness community, we probably see a little bit more unity or, you know, there's a mindset there. But when you look at the whole, country as a whole, even the whole world as a whole, there's a lot of things going on, a lot of things up in the air right now. Um, does it ever surprise you the way people respond 
to some of your articles and some of the, the, you know, the comments that you get, um, yeah, does it ever, you know, what, what are some of the things that you see when you, when people are responding to you? Yeah, most people are pretty polite. You know, I, I try to show both sides of an issue. Um, the, the ones that are rude are usually, um, they want someone to be very extreme in their viewpoints one way or the other. It's not okay to have like a big range. Um, even if you agree with some people, they still want to argue with you <laughs> occasionally. And that usually happens with just the more controversial articles. Like when I wrote about the state of the cities in America, you know, all the homelessness and the drugs and the disease that's popping up. And I, I grew up an hour and a half North of Seattle. Um, my most, all my parents and family are from North Carolina, but I was you know, born out there. And what's happening out there really hit home to me because that was such a pretty city and it was just like the city that everything wanted to be. So it, people get real emotional about some of the topics. Um, but generally they're, they're, they're pretty polite. Um, I, I know that some people are going to really have a really hard time uh, if they can't correct people's grammar. I get emails sometimes. <laughs> And it'll be like, you know, you can run something through Grammarly and, or, and you can look it over three or four times and it'll get a really good score. But there'll be people on a Saturday that will take the time to write a very poorly edited email that did not go through Grammarly to tell me about mine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, I, that's another thing. Those they, people have got to, I wish that they concentrate on their preparedness because and not that like letting the little things like that bother you. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I think <laughs> one of the things that, that I always find funny is when people don't fully read an article or they read a title and then they respond to it or they scan it and they don't read it carefully enough. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. That's not what I said in an mm -hmm. article or that's not what I said in the podcast, uh, you know, or a video or whatever. Uh, I think that's one of the things that I'm like, come on, are you, are you really listening? Are you really paying attention? Or are you just wanting to find someone to agree with you completely? Uh, that's one of the things that I, that I seem to find all the time. Yeah, I've, I've seen that. Actually, the latest article I did on, uh, you know, avoiding and preventing acid attacks and treating acid attacks, somebody told me I didn't mention a specific type of acid, and, but I mentioned another and it made them wonder. It's like I took and I put the excerpt under their comment. I said, it's right here. It's just that that acid is called by two different names. And I even mentioned how it was being used as a threat in America. But yeah, they just don't read the whole thing. And then they comment that that can be, that just happens. I just, usually I don't even bother responding, but once in a while I'll just be like, no, that information's here. I mean, if you want the information, here it is. But yeah. Um, yeah. And people don't, they want you to put your politics in front of logic. Cause it's like, well, I can agree with something not being constitutional or it shouldn't be a law, but if it's if it is a law and it's not enforced, even if I agree with the people that aren't going by it, they're still technically not going by the law. <laughs> I 
And so, and people will be like, oh, you, you know, you're this or that. And um, it usually it happens the worst. Like if one of my articles gets shared by some of the sites, like Steve Quayle shared an article and I just got some people that just really wanted to argue. Yeah. Fight with me. And I was just like, I, I was really like grateful for him for sharing it and stuff, but it was a different audience and they were very, um, some of them were pretty hostile. Yeah, no, I've, I've experienced <laughs> that before. Uh, definitely. I know what you're talking about when another, another site that might be a little bit more political, uh, might be a little bit more, you know, it's not the preparedness community, uh, completely reading it. Uh, I've experienced that before. Definitely. Definitely. All right. So, <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, and age, you know, it's, so I'm in my 30s and people look at me and my appearance and then they're like trying to accuse me of who I voted for and all these different, there's like this guilt by association thing that happens too, like with Lou Rockwell, articles get carried on there. Well, Lou Rockwell carries a lot of people's articles, but if people see your name uh, next to Pat Buchanan, and culture, people like that. Even it doesn't matter what your opinions are; they put you in that category. Yeah, and that that's kind of a challenging thing sometimes too, because and I sometimes I think people just assume if you're younger that you're a certain way. Yeah, and <laughs> other people do with older people too, and it's it's. I wrote an article about that. It's 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 a real tough situation that I. I hope people can learn to work together and not make assumptions immediately every time. Well, hopefully, uh, I mean, you're, you're breaking those stereotypes out there, right? And, and people, yeah, yeah, it's kind of funny sometimes, it, you know, I, I tell some of the people they cause they assume that preppers are all, you know, far right and they're going to judge them and all this. I'm like, actually, no, I've never experienced, I, I've not really experienced that. Everybody's been very welcoming and nice. And I, I haven't experienced anybody like really ragging on me too hard. I've written a couple articles where, you know, people got worked up because they were about current events, but that's two or three people out of thousands and thousands of people over the years. That's nothing. Yeah. Uh, completely, completely agree. All right. So let's move on to, you, you've talked about, uh, nuclear, you wanted to be a little bit more better prepared for nuclear. Are there any other events, ROAS, HTF events that you and Matt are preparing for? Um, and if so, like what kind of signs would you be looking? I mean, you're, you're in you're looking at current events all the time and I'm doing that as well. Right. So we're, we're out there, we're paying attention to what's going on. What kind of signs would you be looking for, uh, for whatever event that you and Matt are, are preparing for? Well, I think an economic collapse is one of the more likely situations because they just keep printing more money. And we have an overburdened system. I know that people are like, oh, everybody's, this is a rich country. And the truth is this country's broke and we've been broke. And I, we, I am all, there needs to be a social safety net because people have hard times. Things happen. But the way things are being run now is just not sustainable. And I'm not saying I have all the answers. Oh, God, no. But <laughs> I, 
but something has to give. You can't just keep printing money and taking on more debt. And there's also just the societal issues like the drugs. Oh, you know, I thought it was bad where I grew up in Washington. That's one reason I wanted to leave. It's just no opportunity. And it seemed like it was going downhill out in the Pacific Northwest, even back then. I, the like the opiate epidemic and so just just the system is just so overburdened with all the people that can't work there's and just there's not enough resources to go around for all the things people want to do uh i'm also a little concerned about pandemics because we're seeing all of these diseases that were eradicated at one point just start popping up and antibiotic resistance and the lack of maintenance in the nuclear facilities though that's a big one i don't really trust them to have the backup facility uh, power that they say they have in case something happens uh, people always you know talk about emps and such and i'm like well if the power goes out for a month or two the nuclear facilities, sometimes people think, oh, well, they're just powered by nuclear. Well, they don't have electricity. Things can get really bad. Oh, yeah. And I, and the fact that they're, they were made to only really handle things for 40 years without major overhauls, and they're still going a lot of them. I just, I, I don't think any of us really know the state of those facilities, and I'm 30 five miles as the crow flies from like Oconee reactor and Oak Ridge is pretty close where they dismantle them. So I'm a little concerned about that at times. doesn't, you know, ruin my life or run it, but something to be aware of. Well, considering all the earthquakes that have been going on, like in, in California, one of the things that people, well, I, I don't know, it hasn't been talked about lately in preparedness. I haven't seen a lot of articles on this, but, you know, on the Mississippi, there are a lot of nuclear facilities. And if the new Madrid fault line had even, not even a really big one, but one that caused a little bit of damage, I mean, there's a lot of nuclear reactors there that can cause, that can cause problems. And, you know, I don't know, I don't know why there hasn't been more thought put into how to, how to deal with this and how to handle this. We can see that with Fukushima, that it wasn't handled very very carefully. We still don't know, like you were saying uh, about the facilities and, and how they take care of them. We don't know exactly what all is going on with Fukushima and how bad it truly is. I mean, there's reports that isotopes are found in, in animals and, you know, all the way in water, all the way on our West coast here in the United States. So I don't, you know, that, that's one of the, those things that I, I completely agree with where the nuclear facilities probably need to be renovated like big time but you have so many we we need need it so badly uh to continue you know powering our grid and stuff like that i mean where do you where do you start where do you stop all that kind of stuff there really needs to be some plans put in place yeah and unfortunately um where you're talking about there's a lot of dams that are earthen and there, there's there been a lot of talk. I did an article on this a while back. A lot of the nation's dams are 80 years old or better. 
And earthen dams are only meant to last so long without being reinforced. Mm. Um, I read an article where somebody that was in the Army Corps of Engineers talked about how those dams were always meant to be reinforced. Well, they haven't been. Uh, if those go and then there's there's nuclear facilities in that area, there could be a lot of flooding and then there's nuclear facilities in the mix too. Uh, there's a whole system there. It just, but I, I, unfortunately, I think it's one of those cases where nothing's going to get done until something catastrophic happens because it would take so many resources and so much money to even get started that it's just not there. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree with you. It's uh, always being reactive and, and not being proactive and, and thinking about how we can have, you know, how, how we can take care of the world that we have. So completely agree with you. All right. So moving on to another topic. Um, this is, this is important. You're a woman who's in preparedness. Uh, one of the questions that a lot of men have is how do I get my wives to prepare? What kind of advice would you give men? Yeah, I actually had to talk to Matthew about this one because I was like, hey, what am I supposed to say? Because I, I, I was raised by a man, actually. I was raised in a household with no women in it. I just I had my, like, my uncle, my, my mother's brother, and my dad like, lived in a house, and I was raised by them. So sometimes I have to think a little bit about this because <laughs> I, I, I just didn't really have a lot of female influence. And, but I... I see a lot of comments about what you're talking about in prepping groups. You're right. Like a lot of men are like, my wife doesn't want to prep or, and I think what it comes down to is a lot of women's are still doing the household budget stuff and they're doing the, you know, trying to do the household, you know, just manage it. And so they'll see it as look, he's spending a bunch of money on stuff that we might never need or use when we need other things. So it's, you know, especially if you're going to have more success with your wife, if you show that the things you're putting back are things that are useful, no matter what, because like your food supply, you have a bunch of extra food and you're buying stuff that you'll eat anyway, which you, you should prepare by foods that you'll actually will eat. Um, if you show that you can rotate it out and you just have it's stuff that's not going to go to waste, that can be helpful. Uh, if you go into prepping and you're like, hey, I really want to get that $700 night vision rifle scope and a solar generator, hmm, that's going to be a harder sell. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to look like you're just fishing to buy gadgets. Um, and, you know, don't always talk about, like, the worst-case scenario things like EMPs and nuclear stuff, like some of the things we've talked about. It's easier to get people into prepping when they realize that, really being prepared means concentrating on the, the things that are most likely to happen. I mean, we had a winter storm where Matt and I stayed at home for eight days. Mm. Um, we didn't go anywhere. We didn't, we had everything we needed and stuff. Well, things like that happen here. We're on a back road. It's we're at 3000 feet. We can get big snowstorms, uh, you know, hurricanes, a job loss where you just need some extra stuff to get through financially. Uh, you don't have to concentrate on these, you know, things that you see on doomsday preppers or something that can be a little overwhelming and scary for some people. And it can sound like, you know, okay, we're all going to be wearing tinfoil hats here soon. So just 
a little at a time and starting out with the supplies like food, water, you know, like a water filter, you know, blankets, the household basics that, I mean, you can run through through your household anyway. I mean, your blanket's going to wear out. You're going to need another blanket. That's just a good way to get started. And yeah, and, and skills, just learning skills. Skills sometimes don't cost anything to learn or very little. Good, good advice, good advice. What, what would you have, what kind of advice would you give to women who do prep? Or maybe maybe they're starting out prepping. Uh, the same thing. Start with like you know, get a food, good food supply, and get a water filter and the the, the basics covered. Um, remember your ancestors that this is stuff that people used to always have to prepare to get through the coming year. It was their survival, and it's not. I you know, I the word prepping and. Sometimes I don't even like it because it's people act like it's a new thing, and it's just like no, it's just stuff people used to do. Um, also, you know, I've I've worked in groups like logging crews and stuff. Worked with a lot of men, and sometimes women have a harder time working with. Sometimes being one of the guys, it means like men are hard on each other. When they talk, when they work together and stuff, even if they're friends, they give each other grief. They say old, terrible things to each other. And sometimes that's a little surprising, I think, to some women. And especially if, like, the guys are start treating the, the woman kind of like one of the guys. So you kind of just have to have a little bit of a thicker skin sometimes and realize that, you know, don't take everything quite literally. And... You, you need to be able to ask for help and not be ashamed of it too. I think sometimes that, you know, you're trying to prove yourself or you get stubborn. I've done it myself. I'm like, I don't want to ask for help. And you might've hurt yourself. Everybody's got different abilities and such, you know, it's different sizes. Uh, you're not going to be a lot of help to your family or a group, or you might even be a burden if you just get stubborn. Like I have done many times myself and not ask for help, like lifting something or doing things like, if, if the people you're with are very good people, they're not going to give you grief about that or give you a hard time or make you feel like you're less. And if they do, then that's something that really needs addressed quickly. Um, and just, you know, I know it can be hard, especially with single women that are working jobs. You just prep a little at a time. You can prep five or $10 at a time. It really adds up fast. That that's good. That's good advice. I think that's important because prepping does. Uh, well, it's all good advice, but prepping does cost money, uh, and uh, sometimes we think we need to go run up our credit cards or whatever. But doing a little bit at a time begins to add up, especially if you do it with a plan in mind. It, it really starts to add up. So that's really great advice. Yeah, and if you you know look at your habits too. I. I there's especially like with single people and this just isn't women just men too if you're doing things like getting a five dollar coffee every day or something well that's 150 dollars a month where you know i matt and i we roast all of our coffee we drink expensive coffee but we buy it green and it costs less than a lot of stuff at the grocery store because we you know do that stuff ourselves um you can find ways to save money in one area and put it towards your your preps um it's 
if you're a single person, it's really, you can get into habits of just like, oh, it's just me. I'm just going to do this. It's easier. And then that can cost you a lot of money. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Well, all right, Samantha, I appreciate you hanging out with us. Do you have any, any projects in the works right now that maybe we should be looking for? Uh, we're doing some, like a book series, Backdoor Survival, like just pamphlets that are 50 or 60 pages on specific topics that are um, pretty much oriented towards beginners. Like I just finished one up that was water. Um, so something you could just hand to somebody that doesn't know anything about prepping or water preparedness and they could get a good idea of the basics and, you know, 15,000 words. And that's, I, we're going to try to put out one a month, but we'll see how it goes. It's just time and it's time consuming because I'm trying to put a lot of information into one uh, little pamphlet at a time. Uh, besides that, just, work in the Spaniard and trying to make something of it and finishing up all of our building projects. We have so many little projects around our place. That's just, you can spread yourself too thin sometimes. <laughs> so, so we'll be, we'll be looking for updates on, uh, on articles about your building projects. And you know, that might be, that might be something people want to know, right? Is like the, the concept for going from concept to actually, you know, finishing it out, um, doing a, a small building or whatever it might be that you're doing to just to give an idea of all that it entails. You're not just throwing up pieces of wood, right? Uh, I mean, those that are, that have done it before understand it and realize it, but that might be something other people might want to know. So that might be, might, might be good, good to, to see in the future. All right. Yeah, a, lot, a lot of rules have changed too since we started doing this. I, even the building codes and rules for things you can do on your own place, have, they, they change over time. So some places are more strict than others. So some of the things like that I do and people see, they, they should probably check their local regulations and stuff before they go planning and trying to do those same things. Yeah, good point, good point. All right, so where can people reach you and get more information about what you are doing on your homestead and then prepping in general, your articles? And share a little bit with us. Uh, just Backdoor Survival, and I, can, I have a Backdoor Survival email. It's just Samantha at BackdoorSurvival.com. That's about the best way to reach me. And I, I'm on Facebook, but I opened my friends list up and it's kind of full. So if people want to just follow, they can do that without adding me as a friend. So there's that too. Awesome. All right. Do you have anything else for us as we close out? Oh, just thanks for having me. I, I have a lot of information to go over and I'm still uh, learning how to do this interview process. I haven't really done that many interviews in public speaking. I'm better on the page. <laughs> No, you, you did great. And it's a lot of information that people are going to want to hear. So thanks so much for doing it. All right. Thanks, Todd. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Well, everyone, that is it for episode 593. A big thank you to Samantha and her husband, Matt. You know, he provided a little bit of information there to her, as well as uh, she mentioned in the podcast interview. And then a big shout out to BackdoorSurvival.com. I really do appreciate 
uh, Samantha taking the time to be with us. And I'd love for you to give her a little shout out, uh, letting, letting her know that you heard her on the Prepper website podcast. Well, guys, hey, don't forget, if you are listening to this podcast for the very first time or you are coming over to the website or you're, you're hearing it in a way that you have not subscribed, I'm going to encourage you to, subs- to subscribe to the podcast. And you can head on over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and click on one of the various ways. We're on all the big podcast networks. And the cool thing is if you start to use a podcast catcher, Every single one of them have a search function. So if you go and you type in The Prepper Website Podcast, it will pop up. You can easily subscribe. And that way you never miss another episode of Sweet Prepper Goodness. And again, don't forget, I'd love for you to connect with me through email and come on over to Prepper Website. You know, Throughout the week, when you're looking for great preparedness information, we post the very best of the best articles on Prepper Website. We do that 24-7 every single day. In the evening time, we post... The, the most uh, recent articles that you can use to help you in your preparedness. A lot of great resources over there. Don't forget about the pages that are dedicated to specific information like firearms and alternative news and even conspiracy theories and frugal living and DIY if you're interested in that. And so I you know have all those links uh, where you can link to Prepper website in the show notes and go over to Prepper website on the top right hand corner. You can find all those different various pages. All right, guys. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until next week, stay prepped and aware. Peace.